And now, live from Dining Room Studios in Hollywood, California, it's the Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend show and guided meditation. Tonight, on a very special episode, Allison welcomes her guests. He's a producer, and his sun sign is Sagittarius. But don't worry, with his moon in Virgo, I'm sure he'll have Uranus rising. It's Greg Heller. And she's a life coach and first-time guest, so open your heart chakras and close your fart chakras. It's Jen Kleiner. Chef Jeff is here to finally forgive his inner child, but not to release him. Not yet. Not until the ransom's paid. I'm her husband, Daniel, and my mantra is not going to ruin this show. Now, find a comfortable position. Feel the tension leave your body, your arms growing heavy. Notice your breath. Notice the smell of your breath. Consider brushing your tongue. You are standing on a beach, waves crashing, water rolling gently to kiss your feet. It licks your toes. You step back from the creepy water as a figure comes forward with a beatific grin. Step into her warm embrace and say hello to your new best friend, Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with her good times never end. Allison Rosen. Hello, my little rainbow sprinkles. It's me, Allison. Welcome to another exciting and unusual Thursday show. I want to say hello to my guests, and then I will explain what's going on. Hello, first-time guest, Jen Kleiner. Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much. Hello, Greg Heller. Hi, Allison. Hi, Daniel Quantz, my hello. husband. And Hi. <laughs> hello, Jeff. <laughs> hello, Allison Rosen. I thought we were going to have your personal trainer here today, too. He'll just ram some apples up my butt, and I don't want them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait a second. I'm going to start seeing him. Is that what he does? That's the way he trains. Sweet. Yes. Um, okay. So, Jenna and Al are in Utah, and Dustin and Jordan are doing various things. And so, since it sort of skeleton crew, I thought, I want to invite a friend of mine and someone who's helped me a lot, Jen Kleiner, uh, onto the show. And let's do a, something that peop, that listeners have been asking me to do more often, which is an advice segment. I used to sometimes do some advice on the show. It's been a while. So I put out a call for people to send in their questions. Uh, and I have a big pile of questions here. And we are going to attempt to fix you guys, or if not fix you guys, at least enlighten you a little bit. We'll see. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know how any of this is going to go. It could really go any which way. Um, I do want to catch up a bit. But first, let's just talk to Jen and introduce you guys to her. I met you because a friend of mine, it was shortly after I'd moved back to California, was talking to a friend. She mentioned therapy. She seemed pretty centered and she had her shit together. So I said to her, um, do you have any recommendations for a therapist? And she was like, here's a couple of people I've seen. Jen is like more of a life coach, career type person. And then there's this person who's this and da, da, da. So I had your number for a while. I think we'd emailed a little bit. Um, and then this, the timing was right. So I contacted you and I began seeing you and you helped me a lot, specifically, um, with making decisions, which was something I was really struggling with because I get really stuck in the weeds of like, but you know, there's, 
I don't know what color notebook to buy. I don't know this, this, this. Um, and you helped me with that by something that I still, I always think about when I feel that way, which is like, what makes you light up inside? You know, pay attention to your energy. Um, so I am wondering from you, can you explain um, sort of how you got into this work and like, what is a life coach versus therapist? How does all that work? Sure. First off, I just want to say how happy I am to be here. Thank you. And what a big fan I am of yours. Um, it's been <laughs> such a pleasure working with you and just watching you <laughs> be all that you are and blossom into this incredible best friend to the world. Um, I pay her. So Allison <laughs> loves this stuff. So I'm very proud of you. And oh, God. I'm stop. also very excited and thrilled to be here. Thank you. Same. So uh, how did I get into this business? Uh, definitely not by choosing it. Um, I grew up in a family of 13 therapists. Wow. Um, oh, Jesus. So <laughs> my cousin Nathan and I made a blood pack that we would never take a psychology class in college so that we would never become shrinks like our everyone in our family. Did you really do it? Did really you, did it. Did you not take a single. We pricked our fingers. Actually, my sister was involved and she betrayed us. She became a shrink. <laughs> um, and Nathan and I kind of re-upped and said, don't betray me. And so neither of us studied psychology. He became a lawyer. I became a filmmaker. I went to UC Santa Cruz for undergrad film and digital media. And then I went to AFI and got my master's in film directing. Awesome. So I definitely went a different route. Um, Can I ask you a quick sure. question? Were you... The fact that you made a pact to never take a psychology class, were you resentful of growing up in a family of shrinks? I wouldn't say I was resentful because I don't know anything different. Mm -hmm. I think I did not want to succumb to what I would call the family curse, which is <laughs> take on everybody else's issues to avoid your own. Yeah. In, in my family, the curse is called drug addiction. So <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's a little bit different. I, I should have made a pact. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I didn't. <laughs> anyway, you were saying, let me get back well, to this beer. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, sort of, yeah. <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Jen. As you're sorry about that. Don't mean to trivialize your right. experience. Right. No, there. I'm doing all right. You became a filmmaker. So I became a filmmaker. And as my mother called it, I could do therapy for the world. Um, the only thing is, is that I graduated in 2007 in December during a global economic crisis. So there went my film career. And uh, even though I graduated with like the top film in my class that year, we had won lots of awards in film festivals and the actress went on to do big features. It just wasn't my time. So I ended up actually going back to where I had learned to make bread and butter, which is in the fashion industry as a stylist. And uh, I worked in VIP services for Calvin Klein and for Burberry uh, on and off for six years. And that's kind of how I would make my money uh, so I could keep writing and trying to do projects on the side. So I went back to doing that and it really kind of became my life. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with student loans and all that stuff, like I was still doing projects on the side, but it was really about survival. And uh, what I realized during working in that industry was mostly what I was good at was 
keeping people alive and keeping <laughs> them going <laughs> and talking them off ledges and making things work and learning how to move forward and making a team out of people who hate each other and, you know, learning how to uh, survive in a corporate setting, just like I had learned how to survive in a film set. And uh, I'd also learned how to survive in an industry that I knew nothing about. So when I started, I actually had agreed to work in fashion by mistake. I thought I was taking a job for a producer <laughs> and film. And it turned out to be this woman who ran celebrity services for Calvin Klein, dressing celebrities for the Golden Globes. Wow. And I was really afraid uh, to do this job. I tried to back out, but it was too late. And uh, and I realized, well, if I could, you know, coordinate a film set, I could certainly learn how to work with samples and clothes. <laughs> but I didn't know what anything was. I didn't know fabrics or names or styles or, you know. See, I would that. feel so ill-equipped to do something like that because I would just feel like I'm like these are these fashionable people are going to judge me, and I can't operate in this world. I'm less than. Oh, I went through that completely. Plus, I was fifty pounds heavier. And I was a total film nerd and I didn't connect with anybody and I had to go work out of the four seasons. So yeah. the people I felt comfortable with were like the bellmen and the maids and the people I had to work with. I just didn't even want to look in the eye. And the fashion so world is, film. the fashion world is so it's like this hyper world of um, like it's like so pretentious and everybody is so up their own ass. Well, do you I mean, you work in that world. Do you think that's the case? <laughs> I think that that is there. I also Let me just think preface, that was my experience yeah. working in music videos, which crossed over with the fashion industry. Yes. So it, maybe it was a, a particular part of that industry. I don't know. Oh, I know. I think you're really on target. I think that's really true. <laughs> okay. I don't want to dismiss anything you said because that's mm -hmm. all true. Mm -hmm. I think one of the blessings of my experience of being thrown into an industry that I w went kicking and screaming into was discovering all these awesome people there who are real and authentic and are you know, using fashion as a way to create authenticity as opposed to, you know, cover up yeah. authenticity with persona, which is a lot of what it is. This is why I love Jen, by the way. I totally just stuck my foot in my mouth and she was like, no, it's okay. I know. <laughs> She's you like, I see your foot yes. and your foot is yes. okay in your, your mouth reality as is long okay as too. you want to leave it there. Um, but I couldn't survive there. Right. I, I couldn't. It wasn't me. And, um, and I did my best and it was awesome to be able to jump into another world and learn how to swim really fast and make the best of it. But it wasn't. Uh, my calling. So even though I got offered like huge salaries and they wanted me to stay on, I just couldn't do that because it just, for me, it was a soul crushing environment because, you know, that world is all about the outside in. Right. How you appear is who you are, but who I am is like an inside out person. So it's a just different way of relating. Mm -hmm. And I think I did a great job of making it work and making people comfortable, which is why I ended up leaving and becoming a stylist on the side. Yeah. But that's not really who I was. So I learned a lot about the business, just like you probably did through mm -hmm. fashion and music videos. Sure. It's a, it's well, I was only world. doing that for a little bit, but yeah, it's like... Yeah, I mean, it's a really great education on really what, how the business works as a commodity. Right. You know, I studied the art of the business, but to learn about the business through what it really moves through, which is money and mm -hmm. sex, mm -hmm. which sells and learning all about that. And yeah. it was great education. That's your world, <laughs> Greg. How do you feel? 
Um, Jen, you're drinking a bottle of water. Did you shove lemons into it? <laughs> I did. So you bought the bottle of water and you cut up lemons and you shoved them into the bottle. Is this? They don't look shoved. I will say. They I know. Look, they, it's like they, a, they've. It's like a real ship in a bottle kind of situation. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing you do. It's like <laughs> yeah. putting limes in a beer, right? Exactly. Okay. The truth is, is that I don't like the taste of water. I don't either. Okay. Really? I have no use for it. It's in sinks and but, toilets. Wait, wait, wait. You okay? It's so I've known, toilets. I've known. <laughs> I've known you, Allison, for what? Uh, it seems years. like nine thousand years. Thank you. And you never drink water. I refuse Ever to drink it. I drink don't want to drink it. Yes, to the point I'll where, drink, like, if I'm doing a TV appearance and all they have is water, I will drink it then. Right. Like, if I saw you drinking water, I would. It wouldn't be um, that much of a leap to think that you were an alien. Probably. You know what? You know when I wanted water after I had surgery. Four years ago, when I was still, when I was like barely human, I was in so much yes. pain and I was on so many painkillers that I feel like la- my layers of cognition were peeled back and I was just like <laughs> reptile me. Then I wanted water <laughs> and I sunned myself on a rock and I drank water. So, yeah. So your personal trainer is so awesome. He has you drinking water now, but the water you like tastes like lemony. I would has- dump them in a cup and then pour some almond milk and drown it in trivia. <laughs> what was I even talking about Everything. there? I think I was talking about eat, drinking Truvia with Truvia. I don't remember now. Seaweed? Something that you wouldn't put with Truvia. I you, that you wouldn't put with Truvia? <laughs> I don't know that that exists. I, I put Truvia on my Splenda. I think you put Truvia on your sushi, didn't you? No. Okay. So if you get up and you have a super spread. bad hangover, <laughs> if you wake up hungover, what do you drink? Well, I don't drink anymore, but in oh, yeah, the days right. when but I did... I mean, probably what I like to drink now, which is some kind of diet soda. Black cherry flavored. Yeah. Interesting. I do. You know what? When I used to play in a band, they always give you waters. So yeah. I would drink water. Anyway. Yeah. I will drink water. I'm trying to drink more water now. Point is, Allison also likes lemon flavored water. Yeah. Too. Cool. And we can talk about <laughs> chemicals and how that might interfere with the, oh, good. you know, getting pregnant process right. another time. Because <laughs> um, I also Listen have polycystic syndrome and I've mm-hmm. had to learn a lot about you know, health and nutrition right. and what affects the body's hormonal process, especially with hormone sensitive women. And my hormones are all fucked. I think we all know this. By the way, <laughs> I starting another round of IVF today, I gave myself the first injection and I already gave myself, I've told everyone 33 injections, but then I realized, oh no, there was another injection, the, that first failed cycle. So 34 injections. Today was 35. Despite the fact that I went through all of this and felt like I got really good at it. The fact when I had to give myself an injection this morning, I was really shaky. Like literally I was shaking again, thinking of everything I had to do um, today. And because the needle was longer than last time. And I was like, why do I have this longer needle? And that's going to hurt. It's going to scare me. Is it the same drugs? No, it's a different drug. Mm. But I actually tried to get very calm and very centered and be very mindful. (laughs) And I was just like, don't think about anything else you have to do today. Just focus on mixing these drugs right here and putting them in and doing it and it was fine but i was <laughs> i was surprised at how scared so i was again given that i had already done this i think as i was saying to jeff earlier it's just unnatural to ram needles in yourself hmm i, I think. think about that yeah it's uh it's unpleasant yeah it's just not speaking of ramming it's, needles it's, it's objectionable <laughs> i don't i don't like it uh did you have something to say about ramming needles because we have to find out about jen's life coachery oh yeah yeah yes 
That's right. We, t- we take detours sometimes. Right. No, I'm, I'm so with you. It's all good. <laughs> well, I work we, with creatives and, you know, we always take detours. <laughs> yes, we do. That's right. Well, let's get back to Jen. My story wasn't worth it. Okay. Okay. So, um, <laughs> while I was doing fashion uh, and still trying to make creative projects happen, I was also doing a lot of personal growth work on myself. Um, as I said, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm. And a lot of feeling powerless in that experience growing up led me down a path of kind of healing and transformation a lot earlier than I think I would have chosen to go on. But it really opened me to seeing how life happens through me and not just to me. And I also worked with um, a really wonderful therapist and author named Catherine Woodward Thomas, um, who created uh, something called Calling in the One. It's a book and a course about drawing in... uh, your life partner, and she's also created a new course in a book Ooh, called Conscious that, Uncoupling. Let's <laughs> see who comes in. <laughs> what was it? Conscious Uncoupling. Conscious Uncoupling. People have heard about that with uh, Gwyneth. Gwyneth Paltrow. She must have read Ruth. the book. Um, I don't know about the book hasn't come out yet. So there's a course, and but now it's there's Gwyneth. A book. Maybe she got she the probably, galleys. Yeah, yeah it's possible. <laughs> she, I know she, she gets knows everything a guy. before yeah. it comes out. So, and you know, I helped to create a coaching program with Catherine, and I went off to graduate school, and she kind of uh, created a wonderful um, coaching program uh, and platform with a friend I introduced her to named Claire Zamet, uh, who has a company called Evolving Wisdom with her husband, Craig Hamilton, and they are wonderful, thought-filled leaders in the world, and I'm proud to have connected them all together, but... So I've always had this kind of life and family that grew up around healing and transformation. And it wasn't something I ever wanted to own about myself, but it was something that kind of helped me get by. Mm -hmm. But in the fashion business and even in the film business, a lot of what I was doing was coaching and counseling people. And uh, I had an actress friend who came to me uh, who I had been styling and needed some support. And uh, through some powerful conversation we had some big things shifted for her very quickly she started to get a lot of work and then when people wanted to know how her career turned around she recommended me and then it was a word of mouth thing and then I met a publicist at a party and something shifted for her and then she recommended me for an article and then all of a sudden a a career I was really trying to avoid (laughs) was handed to me because somebody said listen we're going to post this article about how you transform people's lives and you help all this so do you have a company and I said no and she said well you have five days to come up with a company and a name before we print it and in five days, I came up with Intuitive Artists, and that's been my coaching and consulting company. And it was the perfect way for me to leave the fashion world and uh, and transition into supporting people in a bigger, larger, grander way. Awesome. What, what's interesting about your story to me is how, you know, you made that declaration that you weren't going to get into therapy, you know, the way your family did. And then you found, a, it found you, but it found you on your terms. I like the way you right? said that. Thanks for that reframe. Because a part of me feels a little bit like I failed. Yo, how does no. Nathan feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, listen, he certainly uh, teased me a bit about it. Um, but I've learned to accept He's it. Like, I'm it's the only one that's held out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what does he do now? What did he end up doing? You know, he was a, a great lawyer. He worked at a big firm called Cooley. And he decided it wasn't his passion to do corporate law. And he left and created a cool company. Uh, on his own terms called Critical Pass that helps people pass the bar and he gets to travel and do his own thing, live his own terms. And he actually has told me that I, me following my own vision has encouraged him to follow his own vision. So I'm proud of him. He lives his own life. He's very successful. 
That's and good. his genealogy says he's related to Bono. So if he's related to Bono, somehow I'm related to Bono, and that just makes me really happy. That's pretty exciting. That makes Daniel really happy because mm-hmm. he's got a thing for Bono. I don't have a thing I for Bono. Do. I do I not. I think, yes, you do. Stop. Try to fight it, but... I feel like I'm very confused. <laughs> All right, yes. let's radically change the subject real fast and then we'll get into some questions but i just want to share a funny moment that greg and i had so i think people know we are trying to pitch tv show right now and we met with a guy there's no way to tell this story without just using his full name so and i don't see the problem with it his name is jeffrey wank and i feel like the pitch meeting went well and then because it's yes I think it went well, and um, I don't know how we got on this topic, but somehow, oh, I know. I think because you started talking about avocados, because Haas, Haas avocados, <laughs> right? Jen, I'm really into avocados. <laughs> Just think about it, process it. We'll get back. To it. And then the guy we're meeting with admitted that he had never eaten an avocado, <sighs> and Which is crazy. not only that, he also never he he had really particular eating habits. Which you know, once I hear that, I. I get super excited because I have to know all the details. I've had an entire podcast, like the Lauren Lapkus episode. I feel like the whole thing was just about how she won't eat orange cheese or anything orange, except for, <laughs> I forget, and she only likes dry sandwiches. So anyway, he only likes dry sandwiches. And the thing about him is he only likes food that's really, really hot. And he went into detail about like, normally people would put this in the microwave for this long, but I'll put it in for this long. He likes it like burning hot. So anyway... A deck is like a presentation for the the show that you're pitching. It's just a PowerPoint presentation. For for some reason in TV, they're called decks. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. So yeah. I sent Greg a text that said, did you send Jeff, quote, I only eat hot food, wank the deck? <laughs> and then, which I was just finding out if he had sent this guy the deck. So he wrote back and said, top five most confusing text messages. Right. <laughs> of all time. Because I interpreted the text... <laughs> To mean, did did you send Jeff, I only eat hot food, period, wank the deck? <laughs> and I thought, Allison, thought, I thought Allison was saying, like, did you send Jeff, I only Jeff. eat hot food, Jeff Fox, that it was like a drop or something. And I was or like- a song. A song. And I was like, I didn't, what does that mean? There's no song called I only eat hot food. And then also, what is wank the deck? <laughs> and I immediately Googled wank the deck. <laughs> and there nothing. There are no results. I was so puzzled by that. And Allison and I had a very good laugh about that. Were episode. there results? There were no results. No, okay. But bottom line is hashtag wank the deck. We immediately took it to a hashtag. It feels like we it did, should mean yeah. something. It should mean something. It yeah. really should. You have five days to come up with a name for your company. <laughs> wank the deck. <laughs> Don't you feel like that's what our agents and managers are doing, though? What wanking the deck? <laughs> I don't know what Probably. it means. Yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. shit. Yeah, whatever. But they get ten <laughs> percent of our deck that we wanked. Anyway, <laughs> they'll wank, wank the, out ten percent. Wank the deck. Yes. So anyway, I, I thought that was a funny moment. That's funny. I have oh, I have one more moment to share. Then we get into the questions. Um, and it's a marital moment. Oh that, shit! Yeah, and you and I haven't talked Uh-oh. ahead of time about whether it's okay to talk about it, but I think it will Fuck. be. <laughs> I think it'll be fine. You know how much I love this. No, it's good. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like you're wrong. I had. Um, we'll see. A doc. So when you're doing IVF, there's very specific days that you have to go in for doctor's appointments, and it's like based on your cycle. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, and they're always like, okay, well, you know, call us on this day, and then you'll come in on day two. So I had an appointment that was scheduled yesterday an appointment for 8 30 this morning and i said to you daniel i have an appointment tomorrow this is yesterday i have an appointment mm-hmm. tomorrow for 8 30 in the morning and 
you said that you couldn't go because you have a, a work call at nine o'clock. I had a nine o'clock call. And I wasn't expecting you to be able to go. But for some reason in that moment, I suddenly felt like I felt frustrated by how much with IVF, even though it's the two of you trying to get pregnant, like you as the woman end up doing, you you feel like you're um, a lab rat and like you are just, I mean, you're jizzing into cups periodically. You don't know how hard it is to go in there and see the wrong kind of pornography. <laughs> We have our hardships too. But it's just so much more tipped in the direction of all the invasive stuff is on me. All the hormonal craziness is me. All the procedures are me. All the discomfort is me. It's, you know, it's all about that. Mm -hmm. So I don't, in no way do I expect you to go to every appointment, but occasionally I will feel like, oh, why do I feel like I'm doing this alone? And all of a sudden that came up yesterday morning, no, yesterday evening when I told you this, but I was surprised because I didn't expect you to go to the appointment. And this was not one of the ones where it really would have made sense for you to go, especially with work and all that. Um, and then I said to you that I felt a little bit frustrated or alone or whatever. And then you were like, well, you know, I, I could change it around. Do you want me to go? And I said, no, I really don't want, I don't need you to go. I just want you to know how I feel. Um, and then that was that. And then are you okay? Yeah. Go okay. Ahead. And then later though, you said to me, you know, I want to apologize to you because I think that when I told you I couldn't go, I said it in a... Well, you you take over now. Um, I just had said it so fast and with such authority that I think it made you feel that I was um, like pushing your... Uh, like I was making it so that dismissing you... Dismissing me. Dismissing you. Like you don't have a part in this conversation. I'm like... Because I was preemptively being defensive of this meeting assuming that you probably did want me to go and uh and i wasn't like saying i wasn't opening it up to like do you want do you need me to be there i was just saying no which makes which made you feel uh like you were sort of on the outside and alone in this i think right and it when you said that it all kind of snapped into focus for me because i was thinking why did i have that reaction i didn't want you to go to the appointment so why after I told you, do I now feel alone? But then when you said that you felt like the way you, you were apologizing for the way you said it because you felt like it had like sort of a... There was um, an edge to the way. Yeah, I, there was I, an edge, which I hadn't realized at the time though. Mm -hmm. um, but I really, I appreciated that you were aware enough to realize that there was that energy behind what you were saying because then I understood my own reaction and I just thought that was a good exchange, yeah. a healthy exchange that we I'd, had because I didn't understand why I was reacting that way. Yeah. I think I've, I've I learned a lot about the way. Fault. Yeah. I just, I've learned a lot about how I, you know, it's like such a quick calculation mm -hmm. that happens. It's like you say you, you, you have this thing going on tomorrow and in my brain I'm going, Oh, she needs me to go to this thing. Um, so there's this expectation on me that, you didn't actually have, but I'm assuming is there. So then I'm getting pre I'm getting defensive, which to you, you don't understand because you hadn't actually asked me to do anything. So suddenly you're just saying, I have this meeting and then you're being met with all of this defensive energy and it makes you feel weird. Cause all of a sudden I'm coming at you with all, as though we're having a disagreement when in fact it didn't. And I, I, I'm aware that I do that enough to, cause when you said you felt that way, I was like, Hmm. And then I realized that probably is what happened. 
Well, thank you. Can I just say how impressed I am by the way you guys discuss your relationship? That's why you brought it up, isn't it, Alice? Maybe like a gonna, little bit. Well, <laughs> it, occurred, it occurred to me that this would be a Jen kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what I respect is that I'm hearing you mirror your wife. I'm hearing you take in what she's saying and understand her experience of it, mm-hmm. even, and then also be able to explain what that was about for you without going into being defensive now. Right. I think in general, it's really hard to hear things about ourselves or hear things that we can't control and not want to like shut it down or, you know, call it or change it or name it or stop it or just in, in a lot of times in relationships, there's somebody who wants to fix it and there's somebody who has stuff going on and it's hard to hear somebody's stuff that we love without wanting to fix it. Mm. And learning how to not go in to either fix it or defend against it if I can't fix it or, you know, solve it, it, it feels powerless. So communication is a big part of what we have to learn in any kind of relationship is like how do we break things down so that we understand that so much of it is really about tone right. as opposed to content. And what you have realized is it was the tone in which you reacted to her that made her feel uncomfortable and kind of shut down and not included in that. And the part of you that got activated was, I can't show up for my wife in a way she wants me to. I just need to like tell her how it is. Right. And lay lay it down and was including her experience in that. So it sounds like the way you guys talk about it later allows for both of your experiences to be included which is, i think is what makes a healthy relationship yeah i was proud of us yeah it took it take but in the immediate aftermath it's hard because you know you come you come back to me and you're saying i feel bad and i feel alone and i'm i'm, I'm upset and i don't know why and my feeling and i think this is what a lot of guys or most people probably feel is my intention wasn't to make you feel that way so i'm feeling somewhat like i don't know what the you know if it's uh shame or defensive about my intention like i didn't mean to so what i've learned is when you when you say that i'll generally just not respond and then think about it and usually after a few minutes i can understand my part in it it's um cuz it's really hard it's really hard to admit that even though your intentions are good, you still might have hurt someone's feelings. And to admit that you hurt their feelings, even though you didn't mean to hurt their feelings. Right. You were in a fixer part. Right. And she wasn't looking for, to hear from your fixer. But right. your fixers who's communicated that information and it didn't work for her. So you are. it's not about being wrong. It's not that your fixer was wrong. It's learning that her feelings got hurt. It got delivered from a part of you that didn't work for her. You're taking that information in. You're learning about it. You're not having to say you're wrong or I didn't mean that. You're just allowing her experience, which doesn't take away from yours. Mm-hmm. We've been taught in our you know, society that it's an either or reality. Either you're right or I'm right. Either you're wrong or you know, I am. It's like it's, this is a yes and world we live in. And in relationship, it's got to be a yes and experience. It's not, you don't, you can't have a win-lose and have that work. It's right. got to be a win-win. Jeff, sometimes when you tell me to back away from the microphone, <laughs> you make me feel less than. <laughs> she was like, nah, 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 nah. well, that's no way to talk about me. That's <laughs> fairly bananas, I would say. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, here's something that might appeal to you, Greg. Okay, Allison. Tasting is, room. Oh, all right, all right. I thought it was just going to be beers. Well, no, it's wine. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, Go ahead. it's the only wine club that fits your personal taste. For a few bucks, Tasting Room sends you a kit with sample size bottles of wine. Mm. You sip each one, log on to their site, and tell them which wines you liked. Tasting Room then picks wines for you based on your taste. No longer will you get wines based on Mike Great Henry's idea. taste. <laughs> right. Or someone else's. I'm just saying it's right. based on yours. You get your first full case, 12 bottles, sent to you right after you rate the wines online. The shipments come every three months from when you started and you pay about $13 per bottle. Every other wine club sends you wines they want you to drink. Only Tasting Room lets you taste first and buy second. If you don't like a particular selection, no problem. They'll send you a new bottle. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Head over to tastingroom.com slash Allison to get your tasting kit for a special price of $6.95. Again, go to tastingroom.com slash Allison for the wine club where your taste is the only one that matters. All right. Let's just jump into a question unless Jeff wanted to say something. I just want to say that I love having Jen here because everybody's on their best behavior. <laughs> <laughs> that I, could change. I know. I like I like the version of your argument that you're putting on in front of her. It's very Every, everything's very polite. And well, very- to be fair, it wasn't an argument. It was just a, my feelings were hurt. I expressed that. And then I didn't know why they were hurt, though. And then later, mm-hmm. Daniel said to me that he thought there I, was an edge I in his voice. I pretended to understand what was going on. And <laughs> that calmed you down. I, I actually have a recording of the conversation. <laughs> oh, okay. You know what? Fuck it. I should be able to say whatever I want. And if I hurt someone's feelings, fuck them. I feel like you're wrong. It's just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> that said, Allison <laughs> is the worst. See, Daniel? Real fly on the wall stuff, Jeff. I Jesus, know. I where were you? Yeah, exactly, that's creepy. <laughs> almost. Are you in the closet? What the hell? Recording that? Okay. All right. Let's start here. This is from Tiffany. Hi, Allison. I'm 35, and my lust for life has drained out of me. I'm from a suburban town in the Northeast, and in my early 20s, I was always reaching for the brass ring. I left for college in New York City, then packed up with a friend to move cross-country to L.A. After running out of money and a car, I moved back home. A few years later came the full-time job in an office, and suddenly eight years have passed. I'm still at the job and bored out of my skull. I stopped having fun. I lost interest in dating. I got depressed for the six months of winter that befalls this area every year. Excellent use of befall. <laughs> I keep having this fantasy of living in a warm, sunny place where I drive a fun car and have sunshine on my face and some relaxed, laid-back quality of life. But at 35, is there time to uproot and uproot to where? Before I had some support or systems in place, university or a dear friend to go to L.A. on an adventure with, but now everyone has settled down or is settling down, and I'm the oddity that still feels like I have another adventure in me. But if I go somewhere warm and random, what is my support system? Do 35-year-olds make friends? Am I too old to start over? Over somewhere, should I just accept that I'll live this more small town life, just try to find a guy and to be happy that I have a good set of friends and family around me? I feel like there isn't time to make any mistakes anymore, but I've stopped reaching for anything where I am. It's all familiar, comfortable, and boring. Much thanks for listening. Sincerely, what is the meaning of it all? <laughs> it's a, a huge question. Yeah. Um, I was curious to get Jen's thoughts on it and everyone else's my thought is do not settle at 35 35 is too young to be like i can't do what i want to do in life like if you are feeling that there's something else out there for you i think you owe it to yourself to explore that you're not if you had a husband and kids and an intense amount of responsibility and you're like i want to go find myself somewhere else and that meant 
leaving your kids behind or something, then I might have a different answer. But it doesn't seem like there's anything truly holding you there. I think you owe it to yourself to to go in in search of something at least. And, you- wait, and, and just real quick, I would like to say this idea that we're so old and there's no more possibilities for life. My grandfather went to law school when he was 41. And completely changed. I it's mean, like law you're school. saying that like that's so old. I know, but it's like to to be forty and completely yeah. change your life. My mom, she just got her PhD. So those are that's inspiring, and it's important to remember because to me, what trips us up the most is our negative relationship with time. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all been fed the story that life's supposed to happen on a certain time frame. You're supposed to, you know, figure out what you want to do with your life by a certain time. You're supposed to be making a certain amount of money by a certain time. You're supposed to right. meet the love of your life by a certain time. You know, have kids by a certain time. You're told by the world that if you don't have kids by a certain time, you might not be able to have kids by a certain time. There's all these external pressures. Not just told constantly. by the world, told by your doctors, told by everybody. <laughs> yeah. And luckily, you know, just like he said, I have examples in my family and in friends' families where women I know have gotten pregnant in their 40s. My grandmother had my mother at 42 in 1950. Wow. So if that's possible, wow. even though it's an anomaly, then. It can happen to me. That's how mm-hmm. I've always felt about everything. Right. My grandmother had my aunt when she was forty-six. Wow! And it was an accident. Um, I I would like to speak to this person for a second. Um, I think there is. I don't know if this is a distinctly American thing, but we have a. We tend to have this thing where we think that going somewhere will change us. And I've been to like many places around the world that are paradise in a catalog, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that people there are happy. Right. I don't think it really makes a difference if you live in Florida or wherever this person lives. If you don't have a sense of inner happiness, it does, doesn't matter where you live. It really doesn't. I just don't oh, think you're that. So right. I, I just don't think that matters. You, people in Hawaii are fucking miserable. People mm-hmm. in the South Pacific are fucking miserable, and people who live in horrible, depressing suburban Midwestern towns full of meth heads are fucking sublimely happy every day of their lives. So I just don't think it matters. I think that um, that actually I've um, something that I've only recently really realized. We were talking about this before the show, actually, a little bit. But um, for me, I was always miserable because I always felt that the thing that I was doing wasn't what I really wanted to do or be, and that uh, pushing against whatever I was doing made me unhappy because I just felt like this isn't right. And so it just creates this deep unhappiness and, and, uh, both in my relationship and, and in my job, my current job, I'm finding myself, uh, very happy. And one of the big reasons that I've decided or I've determined is that it's because I've chosen it. Um, and I think that for me, there was this idea that, well, there's one thing you can be. And if you're not that, then, then you need to find a way to be that. And, I get, I, I realized that life isn't so cut and dry. Like you can be many things. You can be many things at once. And that for me, the key to, uh, being happy was just, uh, kind of choosing the thing you're doing. Just yeah. decide that this is what you want to be doing right now. It doesn't mean you have to, co- you know, like in my marriage, you don't have to commit to it like <laughs> long term. It just means right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but like with a job, like that would suck if you weren't kidding. Right? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, um, but like with a job, you you know, to say that this is what you want to be doing doesn't mean that this is all you'll ever do, right? Or where you're living, it doesn't mean this is the only place you'll ever live. It just means 
okay, this is where I want to be right now, and it's a process, and and you know, if where you want to really be is Miami, uh, well, you'll get there. But this is how you're getting there, and right. and the and because this is how you're getting there. I can be happy in this moment now because I'm choosing this moment and I want to be doing what I'm doing. Right. And I, th- I think it's very difficult to have a happy ending to a unhappy journey. Right. And I agree that trying to make the outside in version of life work for you where if I make the external circumstances right, then I'll be happy. This is like this whole facade we all have to go through and then have a breakdown to realize, no, that's not the way it happens. It's an inside out journey. I have to learn how to be my own best friend and be okay with me wherever I'm at for me to start to enjoy what's around me and choose how I engage with it. And, uh, you know, just to say this, you know, I certainly, as I said before, didn't choose being a life coach. That wasn't what I wanted to do. But how I got to where I loved doing that and didn't feel like I had failed from that was the inside out journey had to do with a friend of mine dying who I'd gone to graduate school with. And our whole life was about the time frame of when our movie first movie happens and when this happens and he, you know, all this stuff. And it was go, 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 go. And, you know, his way of going was a party hard, work hard route and that solid. led him, yeah, that solid route <laughs> led him to an overdose that killed him. Not so oh, solid. Fuck. Not so solid. Nice work, Greg. Delete, 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 delete. Mark <laughs> that, please, Jeff. You know, and this was like my very best friend. Yeah. So on the night that I thought my film career was literally that kind of dramatic mm. thing, the night I thought my film career was really taking off and I had had the screening at Lionsgate and my whole world was like, this is finally happening. I get the call that he died. Ugh. And the next morning, I find out that our mutual best friend had been raped the night he oh died. Oh, my God. So my world completely Jeez. imploded. And I had to find my way back to why does my life matter if I'm not, if nothing matters and on my film, nothing's going to happen for me. Like, I have to find peace. How do I wake up and find peace? Because it was the Groundhog Day of anxiety every day of my yeah. life of depression and coming back to, okay, all that really matters is can I, can I tolerate being with myself through a day? How do I get through a day with me? And I remember, because I went to UC Santa Cruz, so I like frolicked in the redwoods and played at the beach and had drum circles, and I had to move to LA. And my story about that was, I'm going to go there and get successful enough that I can leave and go live somewhere else because it's so toxic there. And after years and years of living there, I remember feeling so disconnected from people, disconnected from my neighborhood, disconnected from life. I hadn't become what I wanted to be. And I was said my friends had died. One had died. One had been completely assaulted. What the hell was happening? You know, and I don't have any of what I want. Well, how am I going to learn to love my life now? Because I can't move to Santa Cruz and I can't change it all in one day. So what am I going to do to make this tolerable? So part of the way I made life tolerable was, it's silly, but I went on appreciation walks and I decided, well, if I have to live in this neighborhood right now, I better find something I like about it. So I'd go around and be like, okay, well, I like that door and I like that tree and I like that sign and, oh, I love the color of that person's house and, oh, that's a great landscaping and, oh, that's cool. I like the way they did that, you know, and I started to relate to things and have something that I cared about. And then I went to my pharmacy that I always gone to and I looked at the person's name and I said hello to them and I started to engage with people, not as strangers. It's engagement. It's a choice. That's exactly what, yeah, that's exactly the same thing. how you choose. So I I was having this experience of alienation and I was living this story in my mind and this is where depression comes in is when you live the story of that my dream is dead. (laughs) 
Right. When you believe that you your dream has died and you don't get to do what you want, it creates depression. Mm-hmm. It creates the desire to check out. And when that happens, you know, we stop engaging. Mm-hmm. So how do you get reengaged? You have to find something to love right now, even though like the dream isn't available in this moment. How do you get back to reality? You find something to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do this thing whenever I get myself caught up in that cycle of like, oh, the thing you were supposed to be, the thing people you told that when you were a kid, people told me I was going to be this and that. And I haven't done a lot of the things I thought I would do. I, I do this thing where I tell myself I'm going to have a micro day. And what I do on micro days is I only pay attention to really tiny things. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of some of the things you were talking about, but just like really, really as though I could micro focus on like beads of water on a flower. And you kind of start to realize like that shit is what happiness is. Isn't that is what is. mindfulness that, is? That's that's yeah, what my, right? that that's what happiness is. Yeah. Like there is no city that you will be happy in, and there is no car you will be happy in, and there is no there the things that you will be happy with are things that you just pay attention it, to every day. When when I mean that hit me when Oliver died, and I looked back. It forces you when things like that happen. It forces you to kind of look back and assess a, t- a period of time. And I realized that the happiest I had been over the last year and a half were Sunday afternoons with Oliver when it was just him and I, and we were just hanging out and I was in the moment. It wasn't any creative project. It wasn't any job or anything like that. And the reason was because that was the only time when I was fully engaged yeah. and it, with what I was doing. And it's it's not the answer isn't oh you have to be in a meditative state it's no. it's like you were saying it's engaging with what you're doing beingness is so awesome because it's where everything you want happens in the now we live in the future or we're in the regret regret of the past or in the story of the past and we're missing the opportunity to experience something right now yeah. and what makes people happy is having this experience of something right now where they're being fed where they're being engaged and we tell ourselves that we're only allowed to have those things if we accomplish the stuff we've decided gives us permission to feel happy but that's again an outside in job learning how to feel happy regardless of your stuff Mm -hmm. is the empowered way to actually get your stuff and i think it's like we live in a society that says the the outcome is the point (laughs) And in my life, I have never had, no, even my at my very at my most successful, the outcome has never been as satisfying as I hoped or expected it to be. And I think what I've realized is, if you're not enjoying the process, you're going to be miserable 100% of the time because that outcome is never going to satisfy you in that way that you're hoping it will. And in this thing we're talking about, I, I was I had been thinking about like if you fully accept that idea then even being stuck in traffic can be something you enjoy because yeah. you are you are choosing like i'm in traffic because i need to get to this place being in traffic is part of the process of getting me there and so i'm not going to fight against it i want to be here because right. being here means i'm going to get there and so you can relax and stop fighting against everything that's happening right. to you. And when you start to say yes to the now and allow what's happening, even the disappointment of not having created what you thought you were meant to create on the time frame that you were told to create it in, yeah. you can learn to start noticing what's around you, being curious and engaged with your reality. So even it's something I do, uh, you know, with my parents, I just did it on a vacation. I said, 
So can you get out of your heads and what do you notice right now around you that you can appreciate? It's coming right. into the present. You said this to your parents? I said this to my parents who are, you know, wonderful therapists, but they talk about stuff and they're in their heads all the time and we're in this gorgeous environment and setting and it's like, okay, let's play a game, guys. Let's get present. <laughs> oh, why didn't we do that in New York? This. What should we notice? Let's play this game. Okay, everybody notice. Well, tell me three things you're noticing. Because you're here now. Because we're yeah. right here now. Yeah. And everything we want to have happen as it feels good is when we're all of a sudden here now. Now, mm-hmm. right? We meet the people we want to meet when we're in here now. And when you when you do that, you become open. And it's only when you're right. open that new people and those resources and your allies will yes. start to come to you. This the the person who asked the question, well, can I ever find a, a group of of people again? It's like open yourself, go give your per- yourself permission to do what it yes. is you enjoy, and then like if you go take classes somewhere, well, so you wait, want, you'll, you'll meet people. Is our advice for her not to follow the wanderlust? Is do you think the wanderlust is distracting? I don't think our advice is either or. I think our advice is don't make your journey about moving in order to make you happy. Make it about what am I allowing myself to do right now that's going to serve and make me happy regardless of that I don't have all this stuff I wanted to have. If it leads me to wanting to take a trip and go explore that, awesome. I'm not going to not do that, but I'm not going to make the trip the reason to become happy. I'm going to not make anything the reason to become happy but me. Yes, Jeff. Uh, To speak to specifically what this listener said, I... I agree with everyone that moving to a new town won't make you happy, that you need to find something inside. But what I'm hearing this woman say is that, you know, the the only thing that she's mentioning that really sounds like it's holding her back is the idea, the main question of, am I too old to start to, over, to, start yeah. over, to, to figure out she's not happy where she is? Am I too old to start over? And to that, I would say directly, no. You're never too old to start over. You're never too old to start finding Agreed. how to get happy. But in in terms of moving to a new town to make yourself happy, um, she said that she lives in some small Midwest. Northeastern town. Northeastern town. There's something to be said for getting out of a town like that. If you're in, in, in a town. Right. Uh, I mean, she's home. She's back home now. Well, right. Well, that's, that's even worse then. <laughs> yeah. So if you're feeling like you're too old if you're in a town where every everybody your age is married and has kids that are in junior high school already right, right, right. you're going to feel weird yeah. so i would say maybe it is part of her prescription to get out of the town yes. and and you're talking about finding allies she may have no allies in that town people just may not understand where she wants to be and that's the thing that you hear from a lot of comedians and actors and writers where they say I just had to get out of my little town. If I town had stayed in my in. town, I might have killed myself. Right. So right. I agree. So, so <laughs> what? What a lot of us are thinking is just her wanderlust. Like, oh, I want to be on the road and be Jack Kerouac and driving around and being cool. I think I, I hear her just saying, "I want to get out of this town." Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, for me, a huge thing was getting out of Orange County. Right. So you. You, she may have have a very difficult time finding allies in this town, and it may be impossible for her, her to find allies in this town. Right. So I would say, get yourself to a town where people are like you, what you feel like you honestly want to be. People that don't think that was it thirty four or thirty five. Can we say both 35? are true though? Could we say and agree on that that 
yes, it might not be the right environment for her to be all that she wants to be, to feel like she wants to engage with this community. However, she doesn't have to suffer while she's making that transition yes. or figuring that out. She doesn't have to say no to where she is. She's allowed to find a way to enjoy her environment while she's there, right? I think she should make every effort she can to to do that. But, you know, I, I don't know if any of you have lived in a small town in the Northeast. I have lived in a small town in the Northeast. I have not, Jeff. And <laughs> it's it's a the people are, are of one stripe. And yeah. if you don't want to have kids and you want to be an artist and you want to not work in a big building that everybody's heard of, you're kind of a weirdo. And mm -hmm. get yourself to a town where people are going to support what you're into. Come to LA where everyone's oh. a weirdo, but no one feels that they are supported. Okay. Yeah, you'll be wearing cargo shorts and flip-flops <laughs> until you're when you're 57 That's here. Right. Nobody gives a shit. All right, we have another question. This one is specifically for Greg Heller, but first I want Great. to talk to you guys Sorry. about the new book by Aziz Ansari. It's called Modern Romance. And uh, if you're like me, then when you hear the comedian such as Aziz Ansari is writing a book, you think this is just going to be some kind of humorous memoir. But no, it is humorous uh, and there are personal stories in it, but it's actually a book um, about the... It's it's He teamed up with an NYU sociologist and did a massive research project, project about the ways that people meet and the way that technology intersects with romance and the way that dating has changed. Um, and it was really a huge undertaking. I remember when he was tweeting, when he was writing it, he was tweeting a while ago um, and there were different surveys and, you know, he was, he was trying to collect information. And I was impressed at the sort of scholastic nature of what he was doing. Because I think he could have just written a humorous memoir if he wanted to. But anyway, the book is out now. Um, it's amazing. It also has photos and graphs, if that's the kind of thing you're into. Uh, so at some point, every one of us embarks on a journey to find love. We meet people, date, get into and out of relationships, all with the hope of finding someone with whom we share a deep connection. And in modern romance, Aziz Ansari combines his irreverent humor with cutting-edge social science to give us an unforgettable tour of our new romantic world. Like I said before, he teamed up with an NYU sociologist and designed a massive research project. There's hundreds of interviews and focus groups from Tokyo to Buenos Aires to Wichita. They analyzed behavioral data and listed the world's leading social scientists. It's hilarious, thoughtful. It's an in-depth exploration of the pleasures and perils of modern romance. Um, the AV Club raves. It's hard to think of another celebrity book that also feels like breaking news. Aside from the jokes, the science of modern romance holds water and it's absolutely fascinating. So find out more at book.azizansari.com. Again, that is book.azizansari.com. Um, okay, here's the question for Greg Heller, but for all of us. I would like to ask Fuck advice you. specifically from Greg Heller. Okay, okay. Upon arriving at work every day, I park my car in a large parking garage. At least once per week, I am infuriated by a person ahead of me taking the time to back his or her car into a parking space in the garage. This action causes the entire line of cars behind the lead car to stop and wait while the person reverses and slowly backs into the parking space. Thus, an entire line of cars is forced to wait just so the back or inner can save two seconds at the end of the day to leave the parking garage. I've always dreamed of saying something to the person who feels the need to back into the parking space, but have never formulated an appropriate response. In a recent episode, Greg offered some of his chambered comments for replying to people in such annoying situations. <laughs> chambered please spontaneous if anything please ask greg to provide his advice for commenting to the person in this scenario 
did the, what is this person's name? Uh, Eric. This is real practical advice. He's it asking really for. is. Yeah, Eric, you are talking to the wrong fucking dude. Are you a backer in her? Guess who backs his car into his really? space every single day? Why? What does this do for First you? I don't all, understand this. Everyone at my old job used to do this. They do that at my job too. I drive Quick a getaway. I drive a full size truck. I drive a giant truck. It's true. And parking a truck nose in and backing it out is very difficult. Isn't it hard to back in? You get used to it. You learn how to do it. You just, after you've driven a truck for a number of years, you don't ever use your rear view mirror. You never use, I don't even, I never look at it. You only use your side view mirror. So I can like stealth valet pull into the tiniest slot. In LA, I'll drive around. I can park anywhere in a full size truck. If I nose my car into a slot in a, in a parking garage, getting out is very difficult. Um, however, if this person is driving a fucking Hyundai or something, <laughs> then I would say that it's dog shit. And that you have a if I, I I really need to know what kind of car this person has. I'd like to know a little bit more about the garage as well. But <laughs> if you have a compact car and you back it in, J- Jeff, do you do you back it in? No, I I did sometimes at Corolla's shop because I forget what. a whole mess of backer inners there. No, yeah. I I did it there because there was the, the spots that I usually got. To get to it, I couldn't turn directly into it. I kind of had to do a K turn, and so it was actually more work to get into it front first. But yeah, I don't give a shit. So it, it, it is. There are some parking spaces where technically the act of backing in is much easier than the back than the act of nosing in and backing out. I will say, I, it sounds like this person's garage though is pretty easy to navigate, just based mm-hmm. on the fact that this is a a person who's by themselves. So here's what I would do in this situation: I would approach them. After they parked and I would give them a sarcastic comment that would only entertain me and would only have a puzzling or negative effect on them. Such as? Like, for example, I would walk over to them after they parked the car and I'd be like, back it in, huh? Yeah, back it in. You save a couple minutes on the way out? Yeah, back it in. Cool. And then I would also say something like, um, so you're the, you like to back it in? Yeah. You like to back it in? I like to wait in line behind the back it in guy so we have something in common. It's serendipitous. Anyway, have a great day. (laughs) And then every time I saw the person, I would say something like, hey, did you back it in today? Oh, sweet. Back it in. Okay, cool. Oh, look, it's back it in guy. And I would make people in the office call him back it in guy or back. That's what I would do. I would attack them with negativity. You just negativity, wear them down. And I would wear them down and wear them down. And first of all, one thing I've noticed is when you attack people with sarcasm in public, they most of the time they don't understand what the fuck you're talking about. Mm. When people, I told you my elevator thing, when people get on, get off the elevator before I get on. I automatically go, you, you getting off here? Is this your floor? Were you getting off? Were you looking to get off? And they always go, yeah. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm making fun of you for getting off the elevator before I get on. I have a question then. That's the rudest thing a person can do. Like, so if if people don't understand your sarcasm, what <laughs> what is the outcome that you're trying to affect? Because, entertain myself. Okay. The yeah, a, it's personally satisfying. Objective one is entertain me. Objective two is possibly make that person go, what a dick. And the third <laughs> and distant objective is maybe, I told you, is maybe to make the person say, oh, I shouldn't do that. Like I have, you cannot curb sneak me. Do you know what curb sneaking is? No. If you pull up to a two lane intersection and there's a right hand turn lane and a person sneaks into that right hand turn lane and then goes in front of me on the green light. Oh, oh yeah. You can't do it to me because I'm so acutely, No, no, no. Because if I see it happening, we live near a street that we, I guess we can't say anything geographically or whatever, but we live near a street where there's egregious curb sneaking. <laughs> I'll just stick my car at an angle into the right hand turn lane and then I'll stop. And as the light turns green, I'll stay there. Because why are you entitled? Why do you get to cheat? 
we're all on the road. Let's all share. So I do a tiny amount of educating or teaching on the road. <laughs> Usually the person just honks and honks and honks. And here's the, the I just want to give this person one other piece of advice. The best thing to do when you're teaching people in public or when you're sarcastically interacting with people in public is to not acknowledge that you're doing it. So if you block somebody in when you're driving for a long distance, I'll block people in on like some streets in LA for like 10 or 15 blocks. I'll go five miles past my house to block a person in. Um, but when they pull up to you, never make eye contact with them and pretend like you're adjusting the dials on your stereo so that they don't get the satisfaction of engaging back with you. And the entire time they've been frustrated and perceived they were in a war with you. At that point, they go, he didn't even notice. Mm. And that is the greatest moment for me. When they pass me, and I'm like, they didn't even, They all they knew was that there was some jerk who couldn't drive. Question. Yeah, go ahead. I'm stuck on the elevator thing. Yeah, go ahead. So the rudest thing is when they get off before you're trying to get on. But what if it's the kind of thing where someone gets off to be polite to allow the other people out of the elevator and then they're getting back on? That's, to- that's chivalry. Okay. That's chivalry. Wait, 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 wait. It's rude when someone gets off before you get on. You're, you mean when someone tries to get on the elevator before you've gotten off? What I'm t- the elevator door is open, right? Yeah. Are you on or off? I am waiting for the elevator. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. If I bum rush into the elevator, I'm a cocksucker. Yes. Did I say it in reverse? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so okay, it's the person it who tries to get on the elevator before, before people, people have gotten got- on. When right. I was a kid, and I would do that, my mom would grab the back of my hair. Mm-hmm. Like that's we a- know you had luxurious hair. I had long locks. That to me is the pinnacle of rudeness. Like honestly, like I'd rather have somebody tell me that they're an ISIS than that they're the dude who gets on the elevator before. I think ISIS does that. They, I bet you they do. Mm-hmm. They, they they just released a video where they um, tried to get on an elevator with a bunch of prisoners that were trying right. to get off. Yeah. There's tons of Jews trying to get off the elevator. Um. <laughs> so anyway, my advice to that person is: if you think this person is really being rude, attack them with sarcasm and just go into it with the objective of entertaining yourself first, perhaps teaching them a lesson second. Super healthy. Yeah. Jen, right. do you approve? <laughs> I love your suggestion. Thank you, Jen. Is there any more advice, questions for me? Well, this one's for Daniel. Wait, wait. I just want to say I had this thought this morning, though, with the backing in thing. And I, it's like they spend all the time backing in in order to save time at the end of the day. Same amount of time. That w- That's what was... But like, my thought. Who cares it. where wh- you think you're getting one over on someone, but you're just spending the time in the morning rather than my in the evening. My thought is also... Look, I know I'm going to bang my car into fences and other cars. I'm sorry. This is just how I have to do it. Mm-hmm. I think people do it just to show off their cars. I mean, I don't know I don't know what possesses people to nose out. And by the way, it's illegal to nose out in public parking garages. You can get a ticket for that. It did seem like a spate of show-offery at our old I, place. I think it's more just like this idea like you're on the starting line. You don't have to back <laughs> up. It's just like now I get to go, you know? Daniel, are to- you more excited to get to work or leave work? These days, I'm excited wherever I am. There's no... Yeah. I'm excited enough, to be. In the- we are all yeah. mindful in the parking That's right. garage. All right. I, do you want to hear the Zen spiritual at, uh, response to this, though? Sure. I feel like it's not going to be Greg's. <laughs> actually, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, what I liked about what Greg said was that his response wasn't about the other person's reaction. It was about what got him off what made mm-hmm. him feel good Fact. and actually i agree with that the greg heller story <laughs> however if we want to look at this in terms of a, a spiritual perspective if we make anybody responsible for our happiness by having to change their behavior we're giving our power away mm. yes so if we're making this person responsible for whether or not we have a good day or not because of the way they back their car in it's a little sad that we give our power away so easily. 
Like, yeah, that's annoying. Just like it, it's annoying when it's raining and we plan to have a picnic. But do we want to give our power away to the rain? Or do we want to find a way to choose how we're going to engage with Jen, you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yes, I do. Okay, see, so that's what I'm talking about. That's quality entertainment right there. And that's about giving power away. Yeah, so I have a question. Day. So a person who, who does that a lot, a person who's constantly angry at other people for doing things that they don't want them to do. Just call me Greg. <laughs> I think it's a lot of people. Um, or at so, least a couple. Someone who, who's giving their power away in that way. Um, what would that do? I mean, I would imagine that that would make that person constantly angry. I think people get constantly angry, frustrated. Check. Uh, I think people, their health gets uh, compromised. Check. Right. I think they end up uh, overcompensating for how frustrated and powerless and angry they feel by mm. other self-deprecating behaviors. Or, or, or lashing out. Lashing out. Check, check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not talking about anyone at this table in particular. Greg, Set it and forget it. Relating. <laughs> Come on, let's help more people. Okay. Hi, Allison. This is also partially a question for Daniel. I'm looking for some relationship advice. I remember a while back you talking about how before you and Daniel met, he was in a long-term relationship with a woman who there was objectively nothing wrong with, but he was never able to feel comfortable. I am in a similar situation. My girlfriend, whom I've been with for over a year now, is very kind, supportive, and cares about me very much, but I've never felt like the relationship was a great fit. Like, I know that I should be overjoyed and head over heels, but I feel none of that. It just doesn't feel right if that makes any any sense were there ever any signs that daniel's previous relationship wasn't right how did he figure out that she just wasn't the one how do i know that this isn't a problem with me where i should just accept the great girl who loves me thanks for reading i love the show i would love a greg surfer voice news segment there's been a lot of a lot of uh requests for your surfer voice applied to various segments epic <laughs> and there are bets just everywhere and it was just got the digis and just game <laughs> So um, that's a really good question, and I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to give the best advice. Uh, but what I'll say is that I do understand what you're talking about. There's that question when you're in a relationship where you feel it's not the right relationship, where maybe it's me, maybe for me it was this ringing in my ears. I had had friends before I got into the, the, my previous relationship who told me that I was someone who will probably have trouble committing or that uh, I have, have commitment phobic. I think my dad even once said, you're going to be commitment phobic or something based on some hoo-ha nonsense. Um, and that just stays in your head. Like, is this me sabotaging this by not wanting to be in this relationship? I'll say that um, there's probably a lot of things at work or there may be it may be that it's just the wrong relationship. Uh, for me, there were a lot of things. One thing was that I got into that relationship without really wanting to be in a committed relationship. And so the not wanting to be in it set me off on the wrong foot. We also didn't communicate well, and I didn't understand uh, why. I didn't understand if it was my fault, why she was so angry, uh, at me and it just felt wrong and that made me want to run. Uh, I learned later my role in that because I did a lot of therapy uh, and I said, oh, I, I realized how much I had contributed to what was going on. And But 
you you drill for me you strip it all away and you take away all of all those things and at the bottom of it all was it just wasn't right and that was what created everything that followed so what i would say is you can if you're in a relationship and you feel like something inside of you is saying this isn't right you can go to therapy you can go to couples therapy you can do all that but my hunch and maybe uh jen can chime in here but my hunch is that it probably isn't right and you should probably uh one of my regrets is that i waited too long uh to because i was so unsure about what was really going on i waited too long and i have a lot of regrets about that because i feel like you know i wasted her time um so i would say you know if you're really feeling like it's not right um, you're probably staying in it because you don't want to hurt her feelings. Um, but you're going to hurt her feelings eventually. So, and and you're not giving her credit for being, you might not be giving her credit and enough she's for being also, strong. And she's also, she's going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like guys, guys she's are very egotistical fine. and think, oh, I'm going to leave and she's going to be nothing. And it's like, give her credit. She'll, she'll be fine. What's worse is being with someone who doesn't want to be with her. Um, so I would say, my advice would be... Are you clanking something, Greg? Sorry, am I? I'm sorry. <laughs> I would say the best thing to do... A lot of emotions do, coming up here. And by the way, if you if you leave and you really, it really was the right relationship, I do believe you'll find a way to get back together in time. What you should probably do is break up and then start going to therapy. That would be my advice. Also, break up <laughs> and stay away from that person for a long time. And don't sit up in your bed wondering if that person is with someone else. Just like... Go work on yourself. I've been in relationships exactly yeah. like you were talking about and just spent like four useless months sitting there wondering if she was giving someone to do that fucking hand job or whatever, mm-hmm. when I should have just been thinking about what am I going to do next and knowing she's totally fine. Yeah. She's, the girl will be fine. I mean, I don't know her, but she's probably going to be fine. I think he should make her a mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Jen? I think you have great advice. Um See? Allison, <laughs> I think that was a it was very wise advice. I'm not sure that he necessarily needs to break up with her before he starts doing the the inner reflecting. I think he could choose to do that and then decide there might be ways in which she's behaving that trigger him in ways that he's been triggered throughout his life, and this is a wonderful opportunity for him to learn how to work with those triggers so that it doesn't keep reappearing in other relationships. I'm projecting my own regrets onto it, but that's absolutely right. Like you, you, some of it might just be that you aren't, there's like you say, you're being triggered and you don't understand. I was being triggered and I did not understand that I was being triggered. And suddenly you remove that. Who knows? Maybe you guys are right for each other. Allison, does this person say how old they are? Did they say how old they are? No, he didn't. Timmy, here's the thing. Right or wrong, whether or not we stay in a relationship, whoever we partner with in a relationship for however long we're with them is a teaching tool oh, yeah. for us. They're there to mirror issues for us as we are there to mirror issues for them. And the objective is to do some healing work so we can grow past those issues. It doesn't mean we're, the objective is always to stay together. And if we can respect that we come together with people in order to grow, then the issues that come up in that growth can be respected too. Right. It doesn't mean you have to stay with someone in order to keep healing yourself with their support or mm-hmm. with the way they trigger you. Now, I also am a big proponent of intuition. 
And so how my practice would differ, say, than a traditional therapy is I really teach people to listen to their own inner guidance. And if this guy has had the sense and he can't even say why, but he's just had a sense since the very beginning that's not the right relationship for him, I agree with you. You got to trust yourself. And even though that reason might be because of triggers or it might be because of what doesn't matter, if you don't listen to you, those messages are going to keep getting bigger and louder and we'll start acting out. So you got to start listening to yourself and being your own best friend and taking your feelings into account. Yeah. And, and you're fooling yourself if you think that by just staying in the relationship and doing nothing that those are going to go away or quiet down. Right. You're, they're going to stay there or get louder until you make some decision, whether it is to engage in therapy um, or to maybe open up with your partner and, and get vulnerable and really start talking about things or make a change until you do something it's going to get it's going to be the same or right. get worse it's it's not going to suddenly just go away and there doesn't have to be something wrong with someone for you to not feel like they're the right person for you i Absolutely. think the thing is Agreed. just to figure out is like what what it, what we've all been saying like is there something blocking your ability to feel love for this person that if you could work through you would feel love or is it truly just a mismatch mm-hmm. and there's you know this is this person will make someone else very happy they're just not going to make you happy what's this person's name um, Michael. Michael, I would like to say one other thing to Michael too. Um, make sure you know the difference between not right for you and makes you question yourself. That's a thing. That's like a real part of growing up is when you're 26, you're dating some girl and she's like, I don't want you to come home drunk. And you're like, she's not right for me. <laughs> and it turns out like the person who's right for you is the person who makes you question yourself the most. Right. So if you, if part of, if you think this person isn't right for you because they're making you question things that you do or your behavior or who you are, that might be a problem with you. And that problem is never going to end. The person that you meet who is best for you is just going to keep doing that and keep doing that. So that might be a process of you growing up. And as a, and young men, how did he say how old he, he did. was? He didn't, he didn't. Okay. So I'm okay. So if you are young and actually maybe even if you're not, but you're just young at heart, like young men have this problem where, um, and I did, where um, don't. you don't want to settle down <laughs> right. and not wanting to settle down and not wanting to engage in a relationship and not wanting to, it's, I, I, it often felt like, oh, there's this highway and it's going to this wonderful place, but somehow I took this you know, off ramp and now I'm in who knows where and now they want me to build a house and settle down here. And it's like, I want to be on that highway, but that's a myth that you have to get over and and until you do you're just going to be unsatisfied I, I think that um you know so it might be a product of age too you know where it's like but do you just get over it or do you outgrow it do you think because it sounds like if you're like i just had to get over this then you're going to always be wanting that highway well i mean um that's a good question i don't know i think for me i i can't tell a person how to come to that for i can tell you how i came to it i think people I, grow out of it in different stages, the same way trees grow at different stages of development. Mm -hmm. There are different stages of development for each human being. Mm -hmm. And for some men, it's a, it's a stage of individuation before they're ready for that level of commitment. And it's really about 
for a woman being smart and knowing how is this man engaging with me? From what part is he engaging with me? Everybody needs to realize that we operate out of a lot of parts. We all have parts of our personality. You don't just get into a relationship with a person. You get into a relationship with all their parts. Mm -hmm. There's a part that we project. Hell yeah, Jen. I'll fucking pick a couple of parts. What up, dog? (laughs) (laughs) But we all have this part we put on when we get into relationship. It's It's our best face part. And then you end up meeting all these other parts of us that you weren't right. planning on or banking on. And that's where the work is, is kind of like learning how to accept that people are different parts. Some are developed, some are crippled, some are really advanced, other parts are remedial. And we're all kind of like learning how to grow ourselves. Yeah. And not making someone else responsible for your happiness is a big part of learning how to be happy in a relationship. Right. And that's a whole nother aspect of it. So, I, yeah. So, I yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think. Look inside and, and and ask yourself: Do you want to settle down, or are you just in a relationship? Because if you don't want to settle down, maybe that might be part of it too. Which is you you just want to be a single dude, and that's fine. But be a single dude then. Yeah, and own where you're at. Yeah, own where you're at. It, it, for me, I wanted to be a single dude. I didn't realize that, but I wanted to be a single dude, and then something changed, and I wanted to be a father and a husband, and I wanted that commitment. And so when Things come up in a relationship that are challenges when you don't want to, when you want to be a single dude, well, you're not going to engage and deal with it. You're just going to let it fester and get bad. But if you're in a relationship that where you're committed and you want to be in it, when those things come up, you engage and you work through it and you deal with it. So it's figure out what you're doing and or what you want and own it. Did you want to be a, what did you say, a father and a father and a dad there was something else a lover and a best friend (laughs) did you want to be that did you realize that's what you wanted and then you met me or did you realize it after you met me um i think that i had i wasn't fully conscious like i hadn't thought it through but uh i had made that change before i met you like i went into our relationship fully conscious of what it was that i wanted Mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of intention like once we started to date it was like it was like okay, I want, I want a commit. I want this isn't just like let's just hook up, you know. It was and yet, like, I, I never wanted- felt pressure from you. That's what's so amazing. That's the game, honey. <laughs> so romantic. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Sasha says, "Hi, I have been trying to get better at playing E-shaped bar chords. I still can't get the B string to ring clear consistently. Maybe my hands are too soft from years of easy living. Any tips regarding technique <laughs> from noted Thursday gang guitarist Allison Gregg or hashtag Al? Hashtag Al is in Utah, so mm. he'll have to chime in next week. But I am also a guitar player. Noted guitarist what? Allison Gregg, Al, or Jeff. Do you play guitar, Jen? Sorry. Okay. And Daniel, you dabble a little bit. I used bit. to, yeah. Um, well, the B string, that the, the thing that is is making the sound is like the fleshiest part of your finger at that point. So that is a hard one to get. My advice, but I want Greg's advice. My advice would be just keep practicing because it's just about muscles. Uh, I have two pieces of advice. First of all, I have three actually. You just have to keep doing this because your hand gets stronger and stronger yeah. and stronger and stronger. Two other tricks you, you might try. One is put a capo on your second or third fret because it makes the action lower on your guitar and it makes it easier to hold down a bar chord. Mm. Um, second or third fret, don't really do anything beyond that. It's just kind of a waste of time. The other thing is try playing another guitar. That, you, yeah. Yeah. you might be playing a, a guitar with really bad action 
um, action is the length, the, the height yeah, of the strings about the neck. How far the strings are. I find are acoustic guitars are harder, harder and yeah. the electric guitar might be a lot Right. Harder. Like this, I guarantee you, whoever this person is could bar that chord on a nylon string guitar without any problems. Right. Um, or take your guitar to a guitar place and just say, lower the action. The strings will buzz and it won't sound as good, maybe, but it will be way easier to buy. I did chords. that with my guitars. Yeah. Um, okay. I would All like right. to know which one's the B string. It is the second, fr- second, second to um, think of the thinnest string and High then e. go one above that. Oh. So if you're doing a bar chord, it's like the right closest to your palm is kind of. I don't know what kind of music this one. person is playing, but they could also just play power chords and then you just have to focus on the top three strings. Or you can put a uh, metal tube on your finger. Like they oh. do, and then what is it? Like yeah. Just play a and ton of ZZ Top songs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Allison, I'm a huge fan of not only your show, but you as a person. I'm excited to see what is in store for your career now that you don't have a grumpy, whiny chauvinist holding you back. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you, a woman? <laughs> I've been married for just over five years. No kids, decent jobs. We have a house and two mini schnauzers. My wife and I are both 28, and we've been battling some medical issues of hers for as long as I've known her, and we just recently today learned that she has endometriosis. The doc said that they want her to keep a pain diary for two months, and then if the pain persists, cyst they may do something surgical i just wanted to email you and ask you if you could talk about your experiences with endometriosis how has it affected your life how does it affect you now what would you do differently do you have any suggestions or good reference materials etc i am honestly somewhat relieved in a way because up to this point we've never been given an answer as to what the cause is but only what the cause is not i'm happy that we know what the problem is but now we need to learn how to deal with it I understand if you would rather not address this on the show, but I would love to hear from you uh, on the show or just an email response because I trust that you'll be candid, informative, and helpful just like you are with everything else. Thank you. Thank you for reading this and for doing what you do. You and the Thursday crew are part of many lives when we put our earbuds in and sit down with you guys at Dining Room Studios. P.S. I never noticed Wendy making noise until you pointed out. It's okay. (laughs) It's nice to hear that sort of thing. Makes it... (laughs) That's not... The real her. I mean, it is the real her, but it's not her currently. Although she did just it's open her eyes. It makes it feel more like I'm there with you guys. Okay. Um. So yes, I've I've talked about it before. I have endometriosis. Yeah. Have you talked about that? The I have. Endometriosis? Oh, I okay. have. I have. Here's the weird thing, though. Someone else I know has endometriosis, and she and I were talking, and she said something about that. I wish I could remember what she said exactly, but it made me realize that she, like part of her identity is someone who lives with endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was diagnosed with it and then kind of forgot about it. And I don't ever think about it so much so that here's a weird thing that I've never really told anyone for the longest time. When I would try to think of the word endometriosis, the word emphysema would come up instead. And I was like, Oh, am I getting a premonition that I'm going to get emphysema? Anyway, that's how much it wasn't a part of my consciousness. <clears throat> Although, don't worry, I'll get into it for you, question asker. Um, until now that we're trying to get pregnant and it is a huge part of, they suspect why I'm having trouble getting pregnant. Did they say they were 28? Yes. Okay. So um, anyway, I my whole life uh, or my whole life of uh, ever since I started menstruating had really, really bad cramps and um, painful periods 
and heavy periods and clots and things like that. And it was not diagnosed. Here's the weird thing. I had the same symptoms for so long and what was going on was not diagnosed or even looked into until I had an ultrasound and they saw something on one of my ovaries, which scared the shit out of me. Um, and then they realized it was a little man (laughs) a house. That's right. Um, but they, uh, then they did a, a test and anyway, long story short, they, I had to have surgery. They suspected it was endometriomas, which are cysts and endometriosis, but they weren't sure. So when that's the case, it's kind of standard to go in because they have to rule out cancer because if there's a mass growing, they don't know what it is. And I'm curious how you, how they diagnosed your wife with endometriosis because I think they have to do a laparoscopy, which is is minimally invasive um, to find out. But maybe maybe they just put all the pieces together and they say, we think this is what it is. For some people, it's really painful. For some people, you don't have pain. And my understanding is the level of pain does not relate to the number of adhesions you have. For people who don't know, endometriosis is when the uterine tissue grows outside of the uterus. And then, you know, uterine tissue reacts to your hormones monthly. So you basically are having all these, you have these adhesions inside you that every month kind of flare up. and Painful. And yeah. So um, I didn't, I remember my dad, who's a doctor, was like, no, there's no way you have endometriosis because endometriosis is very painful. <laughs> he was so wrong. But you had just gotten used to the pain. Yes. I Because you never know how much pain another person feels. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So I just figured the kind of cramps I was having mm-hmm. were the same as the kind of cramps other people are having and that everyone's periods are really painful. Um, I don't know. But so anyway, I you know, they went in and they removed the cysts and they removed some of the lesions and things like that. And then they, what they, I suspect will recommend for your wife and maybe she's already on birth control, but they recommend birth control because that quote unquote quiets down the endometriosis or puts your ovaries. It also quiets down getting pregnant. Yeah. Well, no, but getting pregnant helps with the endometriosis. That, that, I'm not sure that that's true because I've read oh, really? things that say that that's not true. They used to believe that. Sometimes I think it's true. I don't know. I, I only um, read uh, medical books from the 1900s. Right, yeah. So. so they want to put your ovaries to sleep is what they said, like quiet it down. Um, and I can't stand being on birth control pills. I just, I just hate it. So, And I had been on them in my early 20s. So I tried birth control pills again because they told me that's what I had to do for the endometriosis after the surgery because there's with with the laparoscopy it can then all come back and you can have to get it done again. Um so I tried birth control. I hated it. I felt numb, I felt depressed, I gained weight. Um I tried Nuvering. I didn't like that either. Um and then finally I was talking to my gynecologist we were trying all these different ones because what she said is birth control pills are like the perfect pair of jeans. You just have to keep trying till you find that one. And I was like, I can't stand shopping (laughs) this way. Um, So she's like, quality of life is important. So she kind of gave me permission to go off of the birth control pills. Now, fast forward to four years later when I'm trying to get pregnant, according to my gynecologist, not my gynecologist, the reproductive endocrinologist, it's 
it, the endometriosis is everywhere. It's everywhere. Like she'll um, do an ultrasound and she'll point out the fluid in my abdomen, which is a sign of endometriosis that it's like one of my, it's kind of pooling one of my tubes. It has fluid around it or in it or something, which could be the endometriosis. So the big question is if I had been on the birth control, like they recommended, would I be in a different situation now? But I hated the birth control so much that I, if I can't ever have a baby, then I might change my mind. But for now, I feel like I don't care. It was worth it to not have to deal with that feeling for four years. Isn't that ironic that not being on birth control would have been the thing that kept you from having that a baby? That was the ultimate birth control. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of the hugest irony of this all is that I was so, so big on safe sex and so afraid of unplanned pregnancy. And in retrospect, I don't know that I ever could have gotten pregnant because the endometriosis. Who knows? We'll never know. You could have had such a good time. I know. So many dudes out there right so now many. being like, fuck, I glove up. <laughs> I know. Such a bummer. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like I didn't, I don't know if I answered this question well enough, but that's been my experience with it. Uh, oh, and then just to, to fully get into the gynecological yeah, stuff get into it. of it all. At a certain point, my periods changed and got so heavy that the idea of an hour-long car ride, I was like, there's no way I can do that. I can't. I cannot go. Like, there's no and you thought that was normal? strong enough for me. Well, I was just like, that's weird. And because I'm me, I talked about it on the show. You can swim in them and you can ride a horse, but you can't go in a car for <laughs> no. a fucking hour. <laughs> I talked about it on the show and people wrote in and I'm like, that's what happens as you get older. I'm like, no one ever warned me of that. That sucks. But then it turned out that I had polyps. Which then they thought that those are um like it's stuff in your uterus. Did you have, they uh, thought, did you have Jackson polyps? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, um, they thought that that was preventing pregnancy, but then they went in and removed those, and it turns out that that wasn't preventing pregnancy. But my periods are lighter now. Yes, Greg. Well, I was just gonna say that. Do you know how Dr. Dre calls weed Indo? Mm-hmm. When we were growing up, we used to when we were super high, we used to say we had endometriosis. <laughs> Nice. That didn't really contribute anything. I just wanted everyone to know that, that we said endometriosis. It added a moment of levity. Thanks, Allison. Thank you, Jeff. But to your wife, I would say... Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. There are more people than you're aware probably have endometriosis. Um, it's pr- It's very common... And there are a lot of resources online. I wish I could point to a specific one. I don't, there aren't specific ones. I just know that go to, when I go to endogals.com, that is probably a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think endosisters, maybe. Endosisters. Cyst, C Y S T, ers. Stop. Sorry. <laughs> Jen, endometriosis? Well, I don't have endometriosis, but I do have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And uh, that is. Also, a very difficult gynecological, hormonal, metabolical, inflammatory condition. And um, like all these conditions, there is a an emotional component to it. And it's really difficult for pe- loved ones to handle women's hormonal fluctuations and all of that brings with it. And I don't know anything about I, that. I, I, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's really, really not easy. It isn't. It is, for me, hard. it is, yeah. And, um, and so my best advice for the husband is supporting his wife in, you know, really good self care. And that might be more than just going to the right doctor. That would be, you know, doing things that wring out her emotional sponge with her 
helping her to kind of move her body and shake off all that sense of powerlessness and not able to move through this and, you know, engaging in that with her. And, you know, for a lot of women, what they need is not someone to fix something because this sounds like that's unfixable right now. It's really just the containment of allowing it. It's like women need to have their emotion and not need a man to fix it. He needs to just hold it with her. Just hold right. it, make it safe to have that powerless feeling. And then encouraging her to do things like acupuncture or walking or, you know, going out with girlfriends or things that are de-stressing her life so that it's not just about managing her care, but increasing quality of life. And that all makes a huge difference in handling these hormonal conditions as someone who understands hormonal and goes through hormonal Uh, conditions. Yeah. As a guy, sometimes the best thing you can do is just let her have whatever the emotions are without trying to change it. You know, the best advice for any man dealing with a hormonal woman, in my opinion, is do not try and fix her or teach her or shut it down or any of that. It's just contain it, allow it, love it, be that strong, like holder, just hold the space for her to have her experience without needing it to be different. And when a woman has that experience, she will shift quicker than you could possibly imagine. If you try and change her, you will meet her bitch and it will not be pretty. Oh, speaking of, I had an, (laughs) I had an experience in New York, um, so I was uh, I was just on a different hormone as part of the fertility stuff, and I was having some side effects that were really super annoying. And um, actually, I'll just you know what? Why have pretenses? Uh, I was on. Do you feel like I shouldn't? No. No, I think I should. Uh, okay. Can we guess? Sure. I will guess extreme diarrhea. No. Close. Jeff, do you want to take a guess? Um. Oh, I have a second guess. Leaky anus. You guys are close. So close. Can I take another guess? Yeah. Super tons of farting. (laughs) No, it's you guys are... Do I get another guess? Yes. Tongues of farting? (laughs) Brown apple splatters. Oh, yeah. Isn't that similar to what to his No, I said tons of farting. You said said diarrhea first, though. Okay, so we've guessed diarrhea, leaky buttocks, farting. You guys just need to move north about an inch. Move north? Is there something wrong with your lower back? <laughs> or, or south. Like west, really, isn't it? Um, I don't know what kind of women you've been looking at. Uh, but. Too much, were you like leaking pee-pee? And now them, it's more than an inch, really. It's a couple inches. I, 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 don't, I don't think I want to guess anymore. <laughs> Daniel, I feel I like I should, I'm you sitting next to Daniel. Really I feel don't. like you should stop guessing. I, I don't <laughs> I don't want to guess anymore. Okay. I'm sorry. I had to use progesterone suppositories, which is a pill you put in your vagina and then it melts and leaks and it's so awful and gross. The alternative are progesterone in oil intramuscular injections, which you have to inject into your butt and apparently they're pretty painful. So since I hate injections, I opted for the other route, which... Jeff, it's, just, it's a little rough. That's a little rough. That's a little rough. Um, so anyway, it involved... Jen, welcome to the show. Are you enjoying it? <laughs> Loving it. It's a lot of intravaginal stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, oh, and Daniel, I forgot to tell you, uh, I feel now is a good time. The doctor this morning said the silver lining of the whole progesterone suppositories thing was learning that that doesn't work for me. So if I get pregnant, I have to do the painful injections. Yay. That's only good if I get to um, give you the injection. Well, you, I think you have to because it's really hard to Sweet. do it yourself. 
And that makes me super nervous. But anyway. Bonding time. I know. We'll, <laughs> we'll injection. Get, we'll get to all that. I mean, if we even get to that, then that means I'm pregnant, so that's good. Anyway, so I had to wear a panty liner, which I cannot stand. I Some women are fine with them. For me, I feel like I'm wearing a diaper. It instantly puts me in a bad mood. Daniel. Mm-hmm. Was ninety percent of the trip not me standing there twitching, going, "I yes. can't stand this." Yes, it really was. It really was. For those of you not in dining room studios right now, Daniel Quantz is extremely excited to be discussing his wife's vaginal suppository. Uh, please go on. <laughs> My underwear feels tight, and I want to kill myself. My underwear feels tight, and I want to kill myself. My underwear feels tight, and I want to kill myself. Uh-huh. That's a song I come up with. Hey, <laughs> she likes my song. Anyway. <laughs> I took to trimming the pads with scissors. Mm-hmm. That made it a little better. That's a whole separate story. Yeah. But I commented to someone, because I'm very verbose about this. I said, I can't stand the fact that I have to wear these pads. I'm going nuts. And this person said, can't you just put it out of your head? And I, I was like, because uh, you said that you'll meet the inner bitch. Um, I didn't actually say anything. But a lot of a lot of bitchiness rose to the surface. Sure. So I was like, the last thing I needed right now was to be told to just put it out of your head. So my advice when <laughs> dealing with a hormonal woman is never tell her to put something out it. of her head. <laughs> get over it. That is the last thing anyone needs. All I was looking for was, oh, that sucks. I'm so sorry. I would have been done. But instead, that it was this be. like, you shouldn't feel yeah. this thing. And it's like, I can't help it. I mean, yeah. I can, but I'm not going to. The greatest gift for a woman, especially when she's hormonal, is a little bit of mirroring and a little bit of empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, don't make, don't take it on. Don't try and fix it. Don't try and understand it. It could be totally psycho what's coming out of her mouth. You just <laughs> acknowledge it and make it okay, and that's all that's needed. And and never suggest that it might be hormonal. Right. Wait. <laughs> wait until the hormonal inflammation. Comes down. No, this is all authentic emotion. <laughs> this is totally real. My dad once ate my sister's biscuit on her <laughs> period, and I witnessed Yikes. the worst fight. <laughs> Jeff, there's a life. drop if I've ever heard one. <laughs> no. Excuse me? Jen, you will rue the day you just said my dad once ate my sister's biscuit when she was on her period. <laughs> Sorry. You will rue that day, Jen. <laughs> if anybody wants a ringtone, Welcome. at Allison Rosen on Welcome Twitter. Welcome to Dining Room Studios. <laughs> Sorry, that was awful. What I meant was no. Popeye's biscuit. It was Popeye's Popeye biscuit. biscuit. And Spoiler then he alert. said when she got upset, oh, are you on your period? Oh, yeah. your dad was, is a therapist oh, yeah. who said this? Yeah, well, he's and learned. That, he's really learned. Yeah. Wow. Learned Never again. <laughs> Never again. Oh. I know. <laughs> All right. Sometimes on this show, I just feel the need to randomly apologize. And right now, I just want to say I'm sorry. Sure. What's next? Just me or everyone is next. Where yeah, we have a song. Sometimes I ponder on something <laughs> I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. This is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we say if we also do these things. Brent Hudson says, sometimes I forget to remove the clear plastic cap from my electric toothbrush before I turn it on and start to brush to smear everyone. Um, I don't ever start to brush with the cap on, but I've definitely turned it on with the cap still on. And it makes a horrible, horrendous sound. And then I'm like, oh, uh, and then I just turn it off. You, Daniel? Um, 
You is it even, gross? I don't even really put it on. You don't put the cap on. Yeah, yeah. me neither. I don't use the cap. Yeah. I do. I why? don't know why. I guess to to protect it from dirt or something. Why is the what's the thinking? Um, I just like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I just do. I'm just not uptight about that stuff. I guess maybe I should be. I, I just am. I guess. But sometimes I'll put the cap on and it'll like squish the bristles, and the next day the bristles will be all askew. <laughs> okay, here's a question: Are you a person that with normal non-motorized toothbrushes ends up with a toothbrush that's all mashed down. Yes. You ever meet those people and it's like, yeah, you're one of those people? Oh, no. I mean, no, I will but replace you know it before about. it gets to that point, but it, it eventually will get to that point. I've met people where you'll, or roommates or whatever, where you'll go into their and you'll see their toothbrush and it's like, have you been scrubbing like the concrete with this thing? Like why, how... Get a new toothbrush. It's You're just toothbrush denial. It is. Yeah, people go into uh, denial around getting what they, rid of their dirty toothbrushes. Do they get attached to the toothbrush? Is there toothbrush shame? I think there's a lot of toothbrush shame out there. Yeah. <laughs> Kitten says, the second I open a package of bread, the twist tie disappears into a black hole. Yes. Seriously, where the fuck did it go? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. and can I talk about how much I hate those bread those tabs instead of twist ties just go with twist ties they're so much better is it more expensive for a twist tie what's with the plastic tab oh interesting i those are the worst i don't mind the tabs really oh, the tabs am i supposed they to hate suck. them yes i mean i hate them i think i'm just lazy i don't want to do either i'll just twist up the bag and, oh, and put it yeah. underneath, underneath the loaf. and then yeah, stuff yeah, it in there it. Yeah. yeah yeah that's yeah. the truth everyone gravity's free mm. Nice. Use gravity as your friend. Anthony Campadonico says, I hate when a great looking website isn't available for a service I need, be it health or otherwise. Hashtag 20th century people. Is he talking about my website? Because we're in the process of getting a new one. But if he's not, then I'm um, sure I agree. Yeah, I can't help but take that personally. Right. Just you wait. Yeah, just you wait. It's, what it's do you mean? Like fantastic. you come across an awesome website, but it's not for what you need it for? No, I think... He, was he... But it might not be my website he's talking about because he says be it health or otherwise. So does he mean if you go to say healthways.com and it hasn't been created yet and he's frustrated that the site... I, I don't understand the I don't question. Understand. Yeah. I, don't understand the yeah. question. I don't understand the question. We don't understand the question, but we agree that it'd be nice if all websites looked good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, That's Anthony everyone. Campodonico also says... I listened to the show and wish I could interject with my own points. Well, I can, so I don't have that. I, I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people do. Though. Oh, people who are listening, I should say, I have started, and I don't know how it's going to go, but as of now, I am taking these Just Me or Everyone's from the top of the list. So these are current because we are backlogged many months. So the Just Me or Everyone's are, coming, are from March, and I think people are setting them in and then they're like, when am I ever going to hear them? And they're getting disappointed. So I thought, why not just start now and work backwards, except that then the cup is going to refill next week and I don't know what I'm going to do. But I decided to take a few current ones. So if you're listening and you're like, what? They're already doing July. They didn't do mine. We'll get to it eventually. Just what trying you, a new what way. What if you did a whole episode that was just just me or everyone's? And we filmed it? Yeah, and we filmed it. Yeah, we sold it. <laughs> hey, that would be a wonderful why don't you idea. do a smattering? Do some from recent and some from old. Yeah, Daniel's right. I, you know, I just might. My JMO never made it on. Oh, I, I think they found it for JMO Patrol, and we're gonna do it. Wait, when was it? It was a long time ago. It was back when I was a seat filler. What was it? It was. Uh, if you're, you have an in. I feel yeah. like I would have done yours. 
I, that's what I thought. It, maybe it was a terrible JMO. It was when you're house sitting for someone else and you put their keys on your key ring. Does it feel weird to you because they don't sound like your keys anymore? That's a good one. I see. I've just. I thank felt, you. Wait a minute. When you were a seat filler, yeah, I was a seat filler. <gasps> seat filler stories. I know. I wasn't handling the JMOs then. Oh, let's just wag a finger in the direction of Glendale. Mm-hmm. A seat filler for uh, like an award show or something. Yeah, for SAG Awards. When was, I was it fun? In college. Um, you know, they just couldn't find enough people dying to go to the SAG Awards? Was that, was that one of the problems? <laughs> it's bizarre because I came down from UC Santa Cruz to do it. Like it was the coolest thing in the whole world. And my back had gone out, but I oh, still no. went. And I was so thrilled because I got placed at a table and didn't have to get up, whereas most of the time you have to keep getting up. At the oh, was it a dinner? I, it was a dinner Did too. Did you get and to they snack off of their plate? No, because they made you put on a bracelet and they said if they saw you eating, they they'd would kick you, you out. Ooh. So you weren't allowed to eat, and that's how people at the table knew you were a seat filler because you weren't allowed to eat anything. That's I got sucks. this next to Jack Valenti, though. That was really exciting. That's cool. Yeah, he sprayed Binoc in his mouth all night. <laughs> it was really fascinating to watch. Wow. Jack Valenti, halitosis, who knew? Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have targeted for that kind of thing. <laughs> Phil Skog says, I never listened to the end of podcasts. I stopped before all the thank yous and goodbyes. You know, people like you are what's wrong with um, society. Are they? No. But, oh, that reminded me of a story that I will tell in a second. No, it's, you're not wrong with society. I'm just saying there's a lot of good info at the very, you know, I feel bad now. I feel like I just took it out on you. That there was the is, hormones. But, no, that wasn't the hormones. That was totally valid. There's Great good point, Allison. I agree with you. Hormones. <laughs> it depends on the podcast because some podcasts don't have much going on at the end. And yeah, I so. mean, if you're essentially just watching what's like the SNL version of them all kind of dancing and hugging and stuff. Oh, we should do that at the end of every podcast. Just, yeah. just sort of wave to the audience. And- right. But if you're leaving before all the important plugs and this part where I say, hey, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, click the banner on my website. It doesn't cost you anything <laughs> Spoiler extra. Spoiler for sale on the iTunes so podcast. That's right. Then you're missing some good stuff. Okay, so... I went to Trader Joe's today, and as has been discussed on the podcast, because Jeff knows, they are strongly encouraged strongly to make- Strongly encouraged. I mean, we've talked about how they always make conversation with you, but you found out from, it's a top down, Joe himself strongly encourages them to make small talk with you on your items. Strongly so. encouraged with, uh, with extreme prejudice. How do, you, how do right. you know this? I, I, uh, I questioned two people from Trader Joe's oh, that I know I that work it. there. That's great. That's great. That's great. It's real intel. Okay. So today, my total was twenty nine ninety nine. So the guy said, your total is twenty nine ninety nine, And then he went, twenty nine ninety nine, And then he cracked himself up. <laughs> I'm just trying to say it like, you know, this is him. I'm just trying to say it like, you know, when they're like, twenty nine ninety nine. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> <Got> <laughs> not wanting to get roped in, but wanting to help him out, said like, bye now. <laughs> now we're doing a bit. And then he's like, I know, like... Like it's not three yet; it's twenty nine ninety nine. And then he goes, "This society, man." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> right? He's like, they always, they always get you. Like they try to make you think it's cheaper. It's like, and I, and then I said, I know, it's like one cent less. <laughs> I, I know we were talking before about like including people and opening yourself up to people, but I love trying to like end conversations. <laughs> um, I do this experiment because at the Venice Whole Foods, they can't stop fucking talking to you. And I, I, sometimes I'll do experiments and I'll try and end conversations. This guy, I remember during the Pacquiao Mayweather fight, 
he was bagging my groceries and he's like, who are you pulling for tonight? And I just went, I'm sorry, I don't feel like having a conversation. I'm just here to acquire groceries. <laughs> and he looked at me and he went, okay. And that was it. It turns out that. you can just go, I don't want to talk. And yeah, people, people are fine with it. And people the, usually I, go, okay. I don't. Rem- I wish I remember who's com- which comic's joke this was, but there was a comic that said when when people ask him how he's doing, he sa- he just says, I am so horny right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you never get asked anything else. That's funny. Kristen W. says, people with caricature Twitter accounts are far nastier than real people. The internet effect is for real. Um, I find that the nastiness kind of cuts across all types of accounts. What's a caricature Twitter account? I think they mean parody accounts. Parody accounts. They mean parody accounts. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I feel like everybody's nasty everywhere. There's this really weird dog shit thing on the internet where sometimes people will go, you're hiding behind your thing. And sometimes like if you're in a chat room or a comment section, you just write the person back and be like, my name is Steven Thomas. I live in Los, this is my address. Because it turns out there's no difference between your handle and your real name. Right. Nobody is going to your house. Nobody is going to call you. So I don't think there's any reason to be any nastier with a parody account than you would be with your actual account. Right. Yeah. There's this idea that, oh, you know, people hide behind the anonymity of the internet. But if you look at Facebook where there's no anonymity, those people are shits too. Sometimes. I do think that some people, I don't know, I, I stepped out for a second, but I do think some people are... um are worse. Yeah. I mean, some people are like in, in with you, there are, there are people yeah. who are definitely bad on Facebook, but uh, on Twitter where, or YouTube where it was anonymous, they were much worse. So yeah, you're right. J Mo's for a Rose says every time I buy a greeting card, I think the selection couldn't get any worse. Next time I buy one, the selection sucks more. Yeah. Greeting card shopping is uh can be a depressing sort of activity. Here's my impression of me shopping for a green card. Ugh. 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 <laughs> yeah. Ugh. No fucking way. Ugh. This yeah. one's, and then uh, this one's good enough, right? <laughs> I just look for the one that when you open it, it plays a song and then I buy it. That's it. That's my whole deal. That's, it's such a racket. Yeah. It really is. And they just keep charging more and more and more for they them. They are yeah. insanely expensive. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, not compared to some things, but compared to what they used to be. True. Oh, I can. I, I'm going to throw in a really quick uh, card plug. I bought a bunch of cards from this woman that makes them online, and I believe her name is Emily McDowell Studios. Yes, they were. They're great. fantastic. You look at every one, and you think, "I'm going to buy that." I don't know who I'm going to give it to, but I just want to buy it, and I'm going to give. That's it to smart. Them. Buying yeah. a bunch of cards in advance yeah. and just having them. Yeah, Emily McDowell. Studios. How did you guys both find this? I saw an article about it because she had a bunch for cancer patients. Um, All right. Ashley Kirk says, I sing entirely too often for someone who cannot carry a tune in a bucket, just me or everyone. Um, Sing like in public? Because everybody... Entirely too often. Singing makes people feel good. It's just... I think people do it whether they are good at it or not because it's just one of the easiest ways to feel better. I, I personally yeah. have no tolerance for unsolicited singing in public person. Like if you're walking, this is a thing in Venice and somebody will be singing out loud. And I guess it's supposed to be some sort of like an exclamation of like individuality and a lack of concern for like social more or whatever. But I generally speaking, I just look at the person. I'm like, you're 35. <laughs> are you okay with who you are? Because if you're not, the singing is not going to help. And I, 
To me, it's a cry. For, it's parrot on your shoulder. That's what it is for oh, me. Oh, it's totally passive aggressive. Yeah, it's parrot on your shoulder. People who sing in public. Yeah. Um, maybe they're just hoping like a musical will break out and their life will be. <laughs> That's true. Suddenly, That's true. everyone will join in and there'll be choreographed dance. Right. Notice me, Daddy. Notice me. <laughs> well, it sounds like you guys. It sounds like we're talking about two different things because there's one thing could just be the person who's kind of lost in thought humming to themselves. And I feel like that's innocent. Did you say fine? It's fine. fine. Yeah, You're talking about the like, I'm going to show the world that I am not the dude on the street corner with headphones on who like is singing yeah. out loud and wants you to say something to him and you have to like do everything you Medicine can to not acknowledge him. I will do, I'll go so far out of my way to not acknowledge that person. I'll put my head down and turn the other way because I'm just not going to validate that kind of behavior. I'm a dick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jeff? <laughs> Next week. And that's fairly bananas, I would say. The last one, Oliver says, just me or everyone, always judge when I see anyone in scrub smoking a cigarette. Shouldn't they know better? Yeah, I have that same thought. I don't see mm-hmm. it that often, but when I do, or the couple times I have, I've thought, hmm. What if you're a veterinary tech? <laughs> Still. But Still I mean, should know better. <clears throat> Haven't you ever heard that saying? Have you ever heard the saying, chefs eat canned soup? I have not heard that. Yeah. That's a very useful saying for like people who are supposed to be experts in one thing that do that suck at shit or whatever. Right. Um, so I think a lot of times doctors are heavy smokers, actually. I think that's a thing. I think I don't think I don't know. Well, it's a high stress job. Yes. You know what they call the guy that graduates last in his class at medical school? Doctor. Oh what <laughs> Wow. That and Chef's Eat Canned Soup all from one episode? It's too much intel, people. I know. You guys. What a wonderful week it has been on the Allison Rosen Show. Jen, thank you so much for joining us. I have loved being here on this show. And I we have like many more advice questions to get to. So we will definitely do this again. Um, tell people where they can go to find you and plug anything you want to plug. Um, my website is intuitive-artists, which is plural.com, intuitive-artists.com. You can learn more about my coaching and consulting work with creatives and all different kinds of people there. And you do Skype and stuff too, right? I work a lot over Skype uh, these days, primarily over phone and Skype. I have a lot of clients overseas and also back east and different places in the U.S., Awesome. Thank you. Um, and listeners, thank you for your questions. And oh, hey, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. We also have PayPal banners on the website, on the um, or links, sorry, on the right side, alisonrosen.com. Thank you guys so much for your Amazon support. Thank you for your PayPal support. We have two ringtones available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. You need this. And new, this new hot summer jam. Touch the tushy, touch, touch the tushy, tushy. That one's touch flying off the, the charts. And flying up the charts. Number one. Touch, touch you need this. Tushy, uh, you can get those on gumroad.com. That's G U M R O A D.com slash Allison Rosen. Again, that's gumroad.com slash Allison Rosen. And we have two special bonus episodes available recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival. First one with Doug Benson and Greg Proops. Next one with Doug Benson, musician Matt Costa, and the former Thursday Gang. Those are $1.99 in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. Follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at ARIYMBF. Email us ARIYMBF show at gmail.com. Um, Jeff, where should we go for you? 
You can find me at, Cur- at Colonel Jeff Fox on social medias. And the new episode of Barracuda Radio is out. My interview with John Worcester of Super Chunk and the comedy team Sharpling and Worcester. Nice, Greg. <clears throat> uh, well, what was the question? Where, sh- where should we oh, go yeah, to find sorry. you? I am at Dong Attack on Twitter. That's real. That's the only place you can find me. Well, you're also on Instagram. I am. I'm also at Dong Attack on Instagram. A lot right. of slow motion of cats and stuff. <laughs> and Daniel is at Daniel Quants on Twitter and Instagram. And he stepped away for a second, which Q-U-A-N-T-Z. is why I am offering his plugs. Um, all right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? 